Chapter Two of Titus, a Comrade of the Cross. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Titus, a Comrade of the Cross, by Florence M. Kingsley. Chapter Two. Day was closing, and night, doubly welcome in an almost tropical climate, was close at hand. Over the waters of the lake glowed a thousand tender colors constantly shifting and melting the one into the other gold crimson rose and rare purples in the sky above and again in the glassy water beneath which reflected also the distant shores embowered in trees while here and there the early lights in a white-walled villa or distant village twinkled star-like through the dark masses of foliage the surface of the water was alive with craft of various kinds some standing out at a distance from the land with white and party-colored sails seemed endeavoring to catch the light breeze which as yet scarcely ruffled the surface of water others propelled by the oar skimmed lightly about nearer the land one standing on the shore could catch melodious snatches of song floating over the water and the calls of the fishermen as they prepared to set forth for their night's work in truth it was a fair spot this lake of gennesaret and a fair city was capernaum standing as it did near the head of this miniature sea it carried on a busy trade with its neighbors ample warehouses with wharves and clustered shipping occupied the waterfront while behind lay the town with its great synagogue built of white and rose-tinted marble its public buildings squares and streets stretching up to the base of a high range of mountainous hills which swept like an amphitheater about the lake on this particular evening a solitary fisherman was engaged in fastening his craft to the bank of the little creek which emptied into the lake about half a mile from the city the scene was a familiar one to him and even in the flashing glories of the sunset now dying into a dim twilight scarcely awakened more than an undefined sense of happiness he was thinking chiefly of the fact that he was hungry stooping he hastily shook the rude fastening to see that it was secure then took from the bottom of the boat his net and a number of fine fish which he proceeded to string upon a twig plucked from a convenient tree as he walked quickly away carrying his net over his shoulder the fish swinging from his hand he seemed rather more than a boy a well-grown lad of perhaps nineteen years well built strong and muscular a skin browned by exposure black eyes under level black brows jetty hair slightly curling a nose curved like a beak of an eagle and well-cut lips made up a countenance of unusual strength and beauty he was clothed in a single sleeveless garment of coarse white linen reaching to the knee this was bound about at the waist with the girdle of some scarlet stuff and from the girdle depended a primitive kind of pouch or wallet ten minutes of brisk walking brought the lad to the outer wall of the city where he found the watchman about to close the gates for the night as he passed hurriedly through one of the men hailed him ho lad thou wert like to pass thy night outside the walls and that were no matter shouted the boy in return many a night have i passed on the lake as thou knowest and mayhap i know another way to get in save through thy gate here and he darted laughing away as one of the men made a motion as though to seize him dost thou know the lad said one of the men to his comrade who had joined in the boy's laugh with a low chuckle yes i know him his name is titus a bold fellow he dwells near to the fish market with his father demachus they call themselves fishers here the man stopped and shrugged his shoulders what meanest thou said the other idly but the gatekeeper was fastening the huge locks 
with much puffing and straining, and many a smothered groan, and did not hear him. At least he did not answer, and his companion presently forgot that he had asked the question. Meanwhile the lad was threading his way through the narrow streets, quite dark now by reason of the lofty walls on either side. Occasionally he would come out into a paved square or open space, where numerous small booths, lighted by flaming torches, proclaimed a marketplace. At one of these booths he paused a moment and looked at its wares, which were displayed in flat baskets. There were cakes made with honey, dried figs and dates, small cheeses of goat's milk, and various sweetmeats, together with nuts and fresh fruits of many kinds. After a moment's deliberation, he selected some delicate little cakes, which, wrapped in fresh green leaves by the obliging huckster, he bestowed in his wallet, paying for his purchase with a copper coin taken from a corner of the same receptacle. Then turning and making his way through the crowd which nearly filled the square, he plunged into a labyrinth of streets leading apparently into the meaner portion of the city, for the open spaces became smaller and less frequent, and the walls lower and more closely crowded together. Finally pausing before what dimly appeared as a doorway in the rough wall, he entered and carefully closed the door behind him. "'Is that you, mother?' asked a feeble voice in the gloom within. "'No, Stephen boy, it is I. Where is the mother?' "'Nay, I know not,' said the voice querulously. "'She went to the fountain for water a long time ago, and it seemeth to me, and I am parched with thirst and so hungry.' Canst thou bring me out into the court, Titus? Aye, lad, that can I, and give thee to drink also. And laying his fish and nets upon the ground, he crossed the court, now plainly revealed by the moonlight which flooded the heavens. At one side of the little yard appeared a dark opening from which was looped a leathern curtain. Stooping a little, Titus entered, and immediately came out again, bearing in his arms a figure, which he tenderly deposited on a pile of nets. There, Stephen boy, see the moon, how bright it is, and here is water, albeit not so fresh and cool as the mother will fetch thee presently. And Titus poured out, from a small skin bottle or gurglet, water into a cup, which he handed to the lad on the nets. The latter seemed scarcely more than a child, so small and shrunken was his figure, and as he moved painfully to take the water, it appeared that he was cruelly deformed and misshapen. But his face, as the bright moonlight fell upon it, was, despite its pallor and emaciation, beautiful, for the features were delicately shapen, while the light golden hair, fine and curling, made an aureole about the brow, from beneath which shone wonderful dark eyes. Truly the water hath a foul taste, but it hath wet my mouth and moistened my throat, and that is a blessing. I am glad that thou art come, Titus, for now I can go upon the roof. This day hath been a heavy one, and my back hath hurt me cruelly. While the sick boy was speaking in his weak, fretful voice, Titus had been busily engaged in building a small fire, and presently the fish hanging from a stick began to splutter in the heat, while an appetizing odor stole out upon the air. Come up, Stephen lad, Titus was saying, as he made his preparations for the simple meal. I have a fine treat for thee in my wallet here. Stephen's eyes brightened as he lay quietly watching the flickering flames. Is that something that I can give to the baby? he asked presently. It will suit the baby rarely, said Titus, laughing. I had him in mind when I picked out this particular dainty at the good Justin's doll. But thou must not give it all to the baby. Thou must thyself eat. Yes, I will eat, replied Stephen contentedly. 
But Titus, I love to see the little one when I give him a cake. He is sweeter than the sweetest of Justin's dainties. Hark, I think I hear him now. And raising himself on one elbow, the lad listened intently. Titus likewise paused a moment in his culinary operations, and the sound of a baby's gurgling laughter and sweet broken talk floated down from a neighboring housetop. Ah, the little rascal, said Titus. He waxeth the bold fellow. Yes, truly, said Stephen eagerly. Last night he clambered over the parapet between our two roofs and came running quite alone to me. He loves me, he added in a tone expressive of deep conviction. He loves sweets, that is certain, answered Titus laughing. But here is the mother at last, he added, looking toward the doorway. A tall figure, heavily draped, and bearing on her head a water pot, at this moment entered the courtyard. Where hast thou been, mother? demanded Stephen. Thou didst leave me at sunset, and I have been dead of thirst by this time, but for my Titus, who gave me a sorry draught indeed, but better than none at all, from the gurglet. The woman let down the jar from off her head, and hastily poured a cup of water for the child, saying in a soothing tone as she did so, Nay, thou shouldst not chide thy mother, child, tis unseemly. But the time at the fountain did pass swiftly enough, by reason of the marvellous things which I heard. There was a great crowd there, and I had to wait my turn. The good Jokunda, our neighbour, had the tale from her husband. He heard it in the marketplace. All Capernaum is ringing with the wonder of— Let us have supper first, interrupted Titus, for the child is faint with hunger, and I am well nigh starving. We will have that marvellous tale of thine later. So saying, he took the fish from the fire, while Prissa— for such was the woman's name, hastened to bring the thin cakes of bread, which served the treble uses of dishes, napkins, and food. For tearing the tough, thin cake into large fragments, she gave to each a liberal portion, while Titus broke up and distributed the broiled fish in the same way. Laying the fish on the piece of bread, each of the humble party proceeded to break and eat alternately from the fish and the bread, finishing by wiping their fingers upon the bread and tossing the fragments to the dog which made short work of the clearing up. Titus ate heartily, with appetite sharpened by youth and long abstinence, finishing his meal with a draught of water from the jar which stood close at hand. Now, Stephen lad, he exclaimed, I feel like a new man, whether thou couldst eat more than a bird, but thou shalt have the cakes now. Nay, Titus, carry me up first. I will have my cakes on the roof. Wait, lad, till I take up thy bed. Thou'lt sleep rather up there in the cool air saying which, Titus disappeared again into the dark interior of the house, emerging presently therefrom, bearing on his shoulder a small roll. I will fetch thee when I have spread down thy rug, he said, as he rapidly ascended the rude ladder-like stairway, which led from the courtyard up the outside of the house to the roof. Down again he came quickly, whistling gaily, and lifting the helpless Stephen carefully from the pile of nets, on which he still lay, bore him steadily up the stairs onto the flat top of the roof. Here in the shelter of the rude parapet which surrounded the edge, he laid his burden down on the little pallet. The boy drew a long breath as he gazed into the glorious sky now fully spread out above him. The moon was sailing high in the heavens, while here and there glowed dimly certain bright stars which even its full orb splendor could not quench. A light breeze from the lake blew gently over the city. Behind loomed up the dark masses of the hills. "'Ah, my Titus,' sighed the boy, I could not live were it not for the nights. I load the days down there behind that hateful curtain, with nothing to do, and often no one to talk to. 
And when father is here? The boy stopped and shuddered slightly. Then another thought struck him. Raising himself on one elbow, he called in a gentle voice, Go, go, here's Stephen. Go, go. A little gurgle of delighted laughter, and a woman's voice from the adjoining roof said, Here he is, lifting, as she spoke, over a little parapet which divided the two buildings, a small naked figure, which toddled unsteadily on its tiny dimpled feet, to the spot where Stephen was lying, watching his approach with delighted smiles. See, Titus, how well he walks, the darling. Come here to Stephen, Gogo. I have some cakes for thee. At this magic word, the baby broke into a staggering run, which would have ended disastrously had not Titus, who was watching the scene, caught him up and conveyed him with a single stride to the would-be haven. There he nestled down beside Stephen with cooing, unintelligible words, which seemed to afford the lad the greatest satisfaction. The little beggar, said Titus, he is thinking of cakes. Opening his wallet, he produced the dainties in question, somewhat damaged by the heat, it is true, but received with tokens of a lively joy by the two on the rug. Is thy mother with thee? again spoke the woman from the adjoining roof. Not yet, good neighbor, said Titus, but she will come soon, when she hath put things to rights below. Even as he spoke, the tall figure of Prisca was seen coming up the stairway. Good evening to thee, neighbor she said, spying the figure of the other woman. Come over, and I will tell thee the tale which I heard at the fountain. Meanest thou of the wonder-working stranger who had come to our city? I, too, have heard of him, replied the other, stepping over the low boundary between the roofs. Then the two, seating themselves with their backs against the parapet, prepared for a comfortable gossip. End of chapter 2